thought capital. No cash changes hands. Energy justice, tax incentives, environmental concerns, resource taxation, highly competitive. Australia is missing out. The social disorganization theory. We cannot think of China as just one big market. Hello, I'm Michael Pascoe. Welcome to Thought Capital, the podcast that delves into the wealth of ideas created by the experts at Monash Business School in Melbourne, Australia. Justice. Perhaps you immediately tend to think, first of all, of crime and punishment, or the idea of social justice, fairness. But what about energy justice? Another whole area to explore. It's just taking a broader view, not just focusing on the old economic arguments, which are really important, but saying, well, there's an environmental concern here. I'm talking to Diane Kroll, Senior Lecturer in Business, Law and Taxation, on energy justice. Diane, what's energy justice to you? Well, energy justice is a concept that comes out of the legal concern for social justice. It's applied to resource projects uh, concerning uh, the extraction of resources for energy. And it looks at not only the economics of a project, which is typically how a project is evaluated, but also looks at um, the politics of a project, energy security, and the environmental concerns around a project. So we've got economics, politics, and environmental concerns, and together they're called the trilemma of concerns in terms of policy making. And it's simply, uh, as I say, a tool or a framework that we use to try and evaluate the benefits of some sort of energy project uh, for the wider community. And it's relatively new as a tool? It comes out of uh, social justice, but it also comes out of the concern to do with uh, energy poverty, which was a big issue um, emanating from the UK, whereby they've got all this gas and oil uh, from the North Sea, but they've got a lot of people in the community that can't afford to heat their homes or afford you know, the fuel for, for cooking. So we refer to that as energy poverty. It's a way for the legal community to get into the debate about the pros and cons of a resource project that maybe has been exclusively for economic commentary or perhaps uh, maybe technical engineering type commentary. And once you let the lawyers in, who knows where it's going to end? As I say, you've got a project, there's got to be um, policy around that project and the policy then converts into legislation. So that's why you need another discipline looking in at these um, types of projects. So we're trying to widen widen those that can engage in the pros and cons of these very important projects. If we take a look for a moment at a controversial energy project to illustrate the complexity of energy justice, the extraction of coal in the proposed Adani mine in Queensland. Very controversial, thanks to the greenhouse gas issue. But if I'm in a village in India burning cow dung for my fuel versus burning coal for electricity, Where's the justice for the Indian villager? Well, that's right. I don't believe there is justice for those people in India. Adani's probably doing quite well out of the project, maybe buying uh, a very cheap form of fuel on selling it to utilities in India and then they wipe their hands of the um, the final effects of uh, using coal, coal-fired power stations as a form of um, energy in India. 
We say gas is better than coal, but mm. coal is better than cow dung. It gets complicated, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it does get complicated. We've got this, this trilemma. We've got economics, so it's good for Adani. We've got the politics of it. We're, we're still arguing as to whether this project should go ahead. And we've also got the environmental concerns. So some, somewhere we have to strike a balance because I guess we've got a third world country that is low on its energy requirements. And I guess there's the argument that um, there are alternate forms of energy. Why just focus on coal? How have you used this prism of energy justice? I've used it for different sorts of projects. So first of all, I was involved in uh, some work in Papua New Guinea. And the question was asked of me, the tax incentives that the Papua New Guinea gives to mining and petroleum, what is the economic benefit of them to the community? Are we getting value for money? And I said, that that's great. I'm happy to uh, engage in that research for you. But uh, what I'd like to do is broaden it a bit. So not only look at economics, but also the politics and the environmental issues around the question about the value of uh, tax incentives. So I've, I've used it for that uh, particular scenario. And I've also used it for a more recent project, comparing the way gas is priced here in Australia to the Netherlands. So in the Netherlands, they've got the big Groningen project. They've had a, a number of issues there. So I've been doing a a comparison with a couple of other researchers and we discussed what what's the framework because essentially those other researchers are economists and my area is not uh, economics necessarily. I come from kind of the social sciences if you like and they agreed that the uh, energy justice framework would be appropriate. So not just looking at the economics but political and um, environmental. Let's take them one at a time. Papua New Guinea first of all. You've investigated if the PNG government tax breaks for the extractive resources sector, that is oil, gas and mining, were beneficial to the country's economy. What did you find? What I found was that um, in an energy project, what's most important is the quality of, of the resource. So the fact that you hand out tax incentives like tax breaks, tax holidays, uh, a whole range of tax concessions, they're actually a little bit lower down in the investor's mind. They, they really look at the quality and the accessibility of that resource. So the government, in a way, is kind of wasting their time trying to throw all these various tax incentives. From the point of view of energy justice, that, that that's great because it means that the government can collect uh, a reasonable level of taxation from the extraction of um, resources such as uh, gas in the case of PNG and the different minerals they have like copper, for instance. How do you use that tool of energy justice to work out how much is a fair tax take, how much becomes counterproductive if you're giving a discount? Economically, the PNG LNG project stacks up quite nicely. The facility was constructed on time, sales contracts have been met, but what are the people of Papua New Guinea getting? And really what they want out of it is some sort of tax. They are getting a measure of royalties, but actually I don't think that the local community are getting enough from their natural resources in terms of taxation. And so my commentary was based on not only the economics, which looked great, but also uh, I looked at some environmental and, and the political landscape to the extent that you can in Papua New Guinea. Let alone when you mm. get 
corruption and the money doesn't leave Port Moresby to go to the people who are affected on the ground, that, the landowners. That, that's right. It's kind of interesting in Papua New Guinea at the moment. The landowners do get a measure of royalty and, and the companies have said that, yes, they've paid those royalties into a bank account, but there seems to be a bit of dissension between the landowners as to who actually is the landowner generations on. PNG is another whole level of complexity, but mm. in Australia, we've managed to make mm. it complex as well. Mm. You've done a lot of work on offshore gas, Western Australia, mm -hmm. made submissions to mm -hmm. the Senate inquiry. Yes. We're being dudded. Yes. Well, I've decided just to concentrate on gas just offshore of Australia, still in Commonwealth waters. And one of the areas that I've focused in on is the gas transfer price. I've already made submissions about how overly concessional the petroleum resource rent tax is with regard to those projects. The government has kind of indicated that it might do something with future projects. So I've decided to concentrate on the gas transfer price, which I think can still be changed for current projects. Okay, we've been dotted. Mm. And the government's not game to renegotiate? Uh, well, I have put in a submission to Treasury, still waiting for the government to release that uh, report. It could be later this year. From the evidence of the modelling that I've done, we are missing out. How much are we missing out on? The work you've done on Gorgon, how much money are we missing out on? Okay. I've modelled Gorgon, Wheatstone, which are the Chevron projects, uh, the Impex Itch This Project, and the um, Pluto project. I figure that uh, 5 billion and 15 billion under simply using the net back method. Now, the net back method is used in Australia already to calculate royalties. So it's no nothing unusual. So why are we using this odd combination of methods, cost plus and net back, as compared to everywhere else in Australia? At the time, was it something the government wanted to encourage, riskier offshore developments and therefore give a more generous tax concession? It's a generous tax concession because it lowers the gas transfer price, therefore less revenue. So what happened at the time, industry and I guess people from the government, could have been people from the ATO, I don't know, because it's hard, there's no record, got together and worked out this method. Until you sit down and work it out for yourself, because I've modelled it in, in Excel, and it's, it's not a good deal from the community's perspective, but it's a great deal from the investor's perspective. So that's energy justice that we're mm. failing on. Yes. On a major export industry. Yes, yes. Meanwhile, on the East Coast, mm. fracking, coal seam gas, other LNG export facilities. Mm. Are there a different set of energy justice issues at work there? Yes, because what's happened uh, is that they've overestimated uh, the amount of gas they can frack from the, the coal seam areas. So they've, they've been taking the gas that consumers and commercial businesses use in Australia to satisfy the long-term contracts that they've in entered into. So yes, there's an energy justice issue there, a different type of energy justice issue. So not enough gas in the east, taking it from uh, domestic and commercial users, as opposed to the west coast where there's plenty of gas and they're just selling, selling it all. 
but we're not getting anything for it. Still with the fracking on the East Coast, Mm -hmm. the property owners where the wells are set, they're compensated for it quite well on occasion. Sometimes in the early days, not so well. The communities around them aren't too happy about that, though. Mm. There's a competing issue of energy justice there. Uh, Yes, because the resources below the ground in the Australian jurisdiction are owned by the community. And in the case of onshore, it's up to the state governments to manage those resources and all parties get an equitable return. So to me, it is unfair that... Um, the owners of that piece of land are compensated, but what about the rest of the community? It's a community resource. Doesn't the community benefit from the royalties to the state government, whereas the landowner has the disruption of a well being drilled even though he doesn't own the gas? Uh, no, you're right on that point. You, you are right on that point. I'm just trying to make this as confusing <laughs> as possible. <laughs> The broader concept of energy justice, Mm. um, that's complicated enough, but it could also be applied both internationally and on an intergenerational basis uh, on terms of climate change, on my desire to burn fuel, burn carbon, Mm. compared with what the next generation's left with. Mm. Is that where this particular tool or discipline is heading? Those Uh, sorts of issues? Yes, I've I've got a, a new project looking at biofuels. There was a lot of work done uh, when the price was going up high, the, the, the oil price. So there was an opportunity cost there to maybe slip in biofuels. So right up until about 2014, a lot of work was done on biofuels. I've read a lot of those reports put out by the CSIRO. If you look at the analysis, they're all on economics. This is high cost, but with the high cost of oil, it could go ahead. And so what happened when the oil price fell from peak was 2014 down to 2016, people just dropped the concept of biofuels. And so what I'm doing with this is re-looking at those reports through the lens of energy justice. So not only the economics, but also the political and environmental and just seeing whether a case can be made for resurrecting some of these ideas and also looking at what's happening uh, in the EU because there's been quite a bit of development in the EU. We've remained a little bit stagnant in Australia. I have heard it argued that in the end, the law will be used to push through greater carbon reduction through one means or another. Energy justice could be part of that campaign. Yes. It's just taking a broader view of some of these uh, projects, not just focusing on the old economic arguments, which are really important, but saying, well, there's an environmental concern here and, and also no matter how good the uh, the idea might be, we've got to take into account politics. Diane Crowell, thanks mm-hmm. for talking to us. Good. Thank you, Michael. It's been a while since I recorded the podcast with Michael Pascoe and I'd just like to share the latest update on the Petroleum Resource Rent Tax, otherwise known as the PRRT. Surprisingly, uh, Josh Frydenberg made a media release on changes to the PRRT just on Friday, the 2nd of November. And I guess the most surprising element was the major design changes specifically to one area of the PRRT design, and that's to do with exploration costs. So now the uplift rate for exploration costs has been dropped 
not only for future projects, but for current projects from the 1st of July 2017. Prior to this announcement, the debate has been about uh, whether or not current projects should be left alone and just to concentrate on changes for future projects. Industry was saying all along that you can't touch current projects because investment has gone into these projects. There's the curse of sovereign risk. Uh, those sorts of arguments were put up. With my research, I found that unless you make specific design changes to current projects, there will be a lack of effectiveness with regard to any changes uh, to do with the PRRT. The change that um, Josh Frydenberg put out on behalf of the government uh, has uh, been welcomed by people wanting a fairer share of um, the returns from our gas projects here in Australia. Now the other aspect uh, to the announcement on Friday was the removal of onshore gas projects from the PRRT regime. And this also is welcomed because essentially the PRRT uh, has not been effective for those projects. So we're talking about the East Coast, East Coast projects. So the third part of the uh, announcement on Friday was, an in, was the investigation into the gas transfer price. Essentially, it, there's going to be a review into the method I've been arguing there's got to be a better method that is more equitable between industry and the community. The government's saying that there's going to be an extra six billion over the next 10 years from the rate changes, specifically to do with exploration costs for current projects. I haven't seen the modelling. Uh, that's a nice round figure. It needs to go further. They definitely need to look at the, the method for uh, get the gas transfer price because uh, with my modelling, it's going to be billions of dollars more. You've been listening to Thought Capital from Monash Business School. You can find out more at monash.edu forward slash impact. If you enjoyed Thought Capital, also listen to Just Cases. Just Cases is the show about the biggest legal cases you've never heard of. Every day, law courts make decisions that change the lives of those present in the room. Some decisions change society itself. You can find Just Cases on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. Thought Capital is produced by Tina Zanu. Editing and post-production by Nadia Hume. Technical support by Gareth Popplestone. Executive producer is Helen Westerman. <laughs>